the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 118, recorded Friday, November 22nd, 2013. BYOB. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, with us this week is George Tucker. George is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Hello, sir. Hey, good afternoon. Also with us, be nice to her, George. This is her first time. <laughs> her name is Chrissy Winsky. Uh, she is the senior content editor at Tech Decisions Media. How are you, madam? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, wait, we all actually met at Infocom uh, 2013 mm-hmm. this year, so very nice to see you again, even virtually. So, um, actually, for those of you who've listened before, she's in the same office as uh, as my arch nemesis, Craig McCormick, uh, and his Boston Red Sox loving self. So, uh, this week on AV Week, we're going to talk about, um, well, honestly, self recharge or self healing batteries. How about that? Self healing batteries uh, from Shelly Palmer, apparently. Uh, they're rechargeable and self-healing and they fix themselves. Uh, the internet of things and Comcast is starting to sell movies, not just rent them. Uh, but first we're going to talk a little bit about the world's most exciting uh, topic. And that is the national electric code. Please don't stop watching now. Uh, trust me, it's important. Um, what happens is, is every few years, actually 2011 was the last time, uh, the NEC was revamped and, um, uh, currently they are looking to do it again. Um, not that any of, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it, but every few years they, they try to revamp it. Um, what the, uh, couple of the highlights from it, first of all, they're, they're, they're readjusting some of the voltage threshold levels, direct current rules, which may or may not affect us uh, in the AV industry directly. But what I wanted to get at was Article 750 of it. Uh, And this is the one that relates to AV, specifically energy management systems. Uh, George, on this, uh, the the revamping of the NEC on this, it says this new article applies to the installation operation of energy management systems, performance provisions related to energy management, and conservation in other codes, such as energy codes developed by other model code groups. I'm sure that's important. Here's the one thing, though. The NEC provides users with a baseline that establishes general requirements for energy management systems and provides a list of loads that should not be controlled by these systems. Um, So, Mr. Tucker, in uh, the whole world of whole building management, like a bunch of uh, AV manufacturers are going to, whether it's Extron or Crestron, AMX, uh, Aurora, uh, whoever, um, how is this NEC adjustment going to uh, affect us in NAV and specifically the control manufacturers who are um, doing their due diligence and trying to get into this whole, you know, whole building management thing? How is this limit? How are, how are these new rules going to apply to them? 
Well, I don't think it's actually going to change a heck of a lot. I could be wrong. I haven't read through the entire revision of the NEC code. I'm eagerly waiting my print copy. Um, so, <laughs> so um, I think it really is an establishing of what we already know and probably fine-tuning some of the items that may have not been explicitly covered in the code that now are, that they want to have some grain and, and standardization control over. Uh, if you look at some of the other stuff that they're talking about in this article and in, in the code, they uh, redefine uh, metal boxes or metal-covered systems as just systems. I'm trying to find out which one it is, actually. It's um, switchgear terminology. So switchgear used to mean metal-enclosed switchgear, and now they're just saying switchgear because, of course, NEC says all that has to be in a metal box, right? Of course it does. Uh, so, of course it does. Mm -hmm. um, but... <laughs> I think that's what they're doing with this. They're saying, hey, there should be, if you're going to be whole building, if you're going to be commercial, probably residential too, but more, I think they're more focused on the commercial yeah. side and saying, this is the standard. Yes, we include you. And yes, in case you thought we were just saying, it's optional. This is not like those pirate movies. It's, this is the law. Oh, the law, whatever. Uh, and, and in all like seriousness, guidelines. It's a standard, George. Um, yeah. In all seriousness, uh, this will affect residential when it comes to uh, new building, you know, new construction. Uh, because in most cases, in most um, municipalities, they follow the NEC guidelines when it comes to new construction. And so that, in some, in some cases, also in, in renovation, depending on how much you're renovating it. So... Uh, Chrissy, we'll come to you. How is this going to affect people like Crestron and, and AMX when they're trying to get into this whole business of, of whole building management? You know, as far as how it's going to affect them, I think, you know, as far as the day-to-day -day stuff, I'm not at the, you know, I'm not an installer. I'm not at the same level that you guys are. But as far as whole building management, if they are placing limitations, that could become an issue. I know it's something that our audience is going to be really interested in. Um, I focus mostly on education, so it's higher ed and K through 12. And energy management has become a huge topic in higher education. And usually, uh, higher ed is kind of the slow adopters with this type of technology, so you know if it's on their radar, then it's something that other people have already probably been thinking about for a while. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, moving on from uh, our buddies over at Lowell, and I say buddies because they're just down the street from me uh, <laughs> in, in, in northeast uh, Missouri. Uh, they've got a new rack, and it's, it's a deeper wall rack, and not that that's necessarily incredible news. I'm sure it's a fine rack. 28 inches and, and 32 inches deep, but this got me to thinking about um, installations, whether it, it's in higher ed, because I've seen this more than I care to admit, uh, not just on my campus, but other ones as well. Uh, George, where do racks go? <laughs> and, and the reason I'm asking, this is a wall rack, right? And, and mm -hmm. it, it's got a hinge and this, that, and the other, and you bolt it to the wall, and, and the, the, they're very nice for the, the, the application. However, they don't belong behind a teacher station, and they don't belong behind the podium in a boardroom. So as nice as these things may be, um, where do these suckers belong uh, when it comes to these on-the-wall uh, swinging, uh, you know, hinged racks? Well, I'm, they really belong in an equipment room, a properly ventilated, dust-free, broadcast-quality environment, basically, if you want to get down to it, right? Um, but I don't think these are intended for that purpose, and in the sense of what you were saying, uh, that they're behind a teacher on a podium. They're, I think, mounted to the wall for two reasons. One, for efficiency. 
and so that you can actually access them for service without them walking away or someone extending the rack on wheels past where the, the cable limitations are and popping everything out. Okay, I'm sorry. Even if, How is a rack going to walk away, George? <laughs> well, not, it, no, but hear me out. Not walk away okay. physically. Although, come on, you work at a college. You know these things happen. Uh, well, Why would they steal that? <laughs> uh, not a rack. I don't know. Um, worst things have gotten stolen. Okay. But think of it in this term, though. If, if you have a service person or one of your techs going in and they're looking for something or they went to go to another rack and they push a rack on wheels past the limitations of the cable because we know everybody leaves proper service loops in their cat racks, right? Yes, no. they do. No, no, they don't. So <laughs> I see this as one of those things where, for, for me, it's, it's never going to move. And if it only has a certain amount of swing, we know what our service loop is. No one's going to push that thing across the floor where it pops all the connectors out of the boxes in the unit. And then you suddenly are going, 18 rooms are calling with nothing to happen, or the microphones don't work. That's the perfect reason for it. Okay. Uh, Chrissy, whether it's ed- education or, you know, corporate, where do, these, where do you guys think that these, where do you think these belong? You know, I think I agree with you. We're probably behind a teacher's workstation. is not the best place for it. Um, but you definitely do see that. And I think especially in education, I was thinking about this in terms of space because space and design is always an issue. Um, you're trying not to take up, uh, you know, classroom area. But at the same time, you need to have some place to put all of this equipment and to store it. And if you don't have a place where you can do that, then your only other option is the classroom. No, and that's that's true. I, I, you know, that's that's a valid point. I just I've seen this more than once, and not just from Lowell. Uh, there was a company I, I was invited to uh, be a part of, of one of their higher ed uh, meetings um, on their campus as part of our training and stuff. And I had a number of gentlemen uh, who are other tech managers swear by this whole rack on the wall thing that it comes down. It's got everything right there. But in essence, it is the largest wall wart I've ever seen. <laughs> I've ever seen. I, I just, I'm sorry. That's just me. All right. Uh, moving on. This comes, from, this comes to us from Shelly Palmer. Uh, Shelly uh, writes that there is a new brand spanking new uh, self-healing rechargeable battery. He says the problem with lithium-ion batteries is that, they, that there's more discharge cycles you put them through, the less efficient and the, the negative electrode becomes. Uh, well, scientists have developed a self-healing rechargeable battery. Uh, Christy, how is this going to impact people like um, Aurora and people who and AMX and Crestron and all the people who have wireless uh, devices that you just um, pop them in and, you, and they recharge, whether that's a, a touch panel or it's a wireless mic, because uh, I know both Sennheiser uh, and another mic, uh, mic manufacturers have um, rechargeable batteries that you just you keep them in the actual uh, transmitter and you pop them down and, and they're good to go after about an hour or so. Um, definitely convenience. That's definitely a big factor. Battery life. Um, you know, if they're not dying as quickly, that's less of a cost for people as well because they're not going to be having to put uh, your replace equipment if it's dying sooner. Um, but I kind of see it as being a bigger deal with mobile too. And I know the article that we uh, that I had looked at talked about you know, using it in cell phones mm-hmm. or even cars, which is interesting, but clearly not applicable to something, clearly not applicable to, like, the Crestrons and AMX systems. I definitely think it's more convenience. Makes sense. Makes sense. George, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, touch panels or like Chrissy said, you know, cell phones and stuff like that. How is this going to impact us at here in AV? Well, I will. I think it will because it's going to be a battery that can actually keep its charge for longer, despite the discharge cycles, despite anything that happens to it. Although, and that's a great thing. Although it does have its downfall here, where they say one of the bad side effects is is that it does this process, the silicone. And if anyone hasn't read the article yet, they actually are finding that if they, I think they dope it with a silicone into the cathode, and that helps keep the electrons and the current oxide mix better. So you need the oxide mix to keep the charge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what it does in that process is it swells to almost 300%, sort of like a sponge soaking up water. And that's a problem for our slimline, nice designed boxes that don't want to have room for a battery to swell and shrink into, right? Keep yeah. the electrodes connected and not bust out of the casing. Um, I, you know, some of us might remember a certain number of touch panels that had swelling battery problems. I don't really know it personally, but there was an issue. That's the same thing. So we would have to either accommodate it con currently with some kind of design that lets that battery compartment swell, uh, or some other technology has to come up that will help minimize that. And I don't know if they can do that yet. Okay. Five, ten, maybe only two years away? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they just need a graphene code. That was another... Good point too is someone had commented on the article like will this even make it to market because new stuff comes out all the time and it seems really promising and then nothing ever happens with it. Hmm. No, that's that's. And again, it could be a step towards a better technology, definitely. Um, but it's I find it funny that they're actually using silicone to dope the battery, basically, just like we did in early transistors. Silicone was the doping material of choice to help the electrons flow, or at least minimize them in that case when they were making stuff. I like that silicon's back again. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Can we get Ace Freely to cover that again? I'm Who's back. <laughs> very nice, very back nice. in the silicon group. Yes, very nice. Explain to people who who Ace Freely was, please. Oh, Ace Freely. Sorry, yes. I lost you there for a minute. It's all right. We had uh, the Lotto announcement go out here, and I was trying to mute it. Um, gotta play Lotto. <laughs> um, Ace Freely from the seminal band Kiss. He put out a record that was one of his own single hits, I think, called Back in the New York Groove. Yeah, there we go. And no, I won't sing it for you. Oh. No. No. All right, uh, moving on. You can, if you would like, talk to a couple people uh, who are involved in the Presidential Innovation Fellows. Uh, they are um, involved with, a couple of years ago, the President, uh, President Obama. Um, established, uh, in actually in 2012, established the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program. Its goal was to hire private sector specialists for a variety of specific one-year assignments, such as making government more efficient in its use of technologies. Uh, well, these two presidential fellows are actually uh, doing some work on the Internet of Things. Uh, if you don't know what the Internet of Things is, it's a term coined in the late 90s, uh, basically saying that uh, it, it is the virtual version of, 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 you know, physical objects, whether that's, you know, RFIDs, um, augmented reality, Google, Google Glass would be an extension possibly of, of the Internet of Things. Uh, the fact that your, some of your uh, refrigerators can detect when you're out of milk and email the store and order for you if you'd like. That would be an example of an Internet of Things. And so it got me thinking, uh, and I wanted to have a conversation with both of you how is this whole Internet of Things going to affect AV? 
Uh, and I bring I bring it up because you have a number of devices, um, and I'm I'm not going to say all because I, I I hesitate to use you know definitive words like that. But let's say most AV products nowadays have some sort of RJ45 jack. They have some sort of network jack on them. Uh, there's some sort of of IP like control, and more often than not. You can put them on your network, and more often than not, depending on your um, network infrastructure and your your local IT guy or gal, uh, you can put them outside the network to where they're accessible um, to you at home. Uh, if you're a technology manager, or you're someone who has to maintain these things, let's say you have to maintain your your Crestron system or your AMX system, uh, you could, in theory, put your processor outside the firewall. Uh, of your university or your uh, your boardroom, and you could remote into it and, and fix problems remotely. So things like that, and, and other other items, whether that's you know a processor, and then we can get into the whole discussion of AVB and, and HD base T. Uh, so George, when it comes to the internet and things in general, uh, where is this going to take us in the world of AV? Well, I think you've got a lot of potential. Obviously, um, you've got devices that can interact. You've got that interoperability. Um, things can tell each other what's going on. So uh, certain lights go on or the fireplace goes on. It can tell the heating system not to worry about that room. It can separate zones because of what's going on activity-wise. You can have sensors that tell it this room is empty. Don't heat it as much, but the family room is being used. That gets you know an average heat. I'm just doing simple examples, but you can go on and on about this. Uh, what this council was talking about and the actual the, the little Twitter chat they had just ended about 3 o'clock. Um, uh, they were talking a lot about standards, that there are way too many standards. They all do cool things, but they don't do anything yet. And one of the main quotes that they had was that right now we're at a point where we have to decide what to do with it. Getting everything on the IoT or be part coming part of what's called CPS. The, the IoT, the IoT would be the Internet of Things. Yeah, yeah, IoT, <laughs> Internet of Things. That we have to determine what we want to do with it. I don't think we're there yet. We've got this great idea; it can tell you when you're out of milk, but that's really not the use of it. Not for commercial, and not for you and me, right? I mean, yeah, okay, you want to tell me that I'm out of milk. Maybe two generations from now, they, they'll think, how did they ever live without this? But right now, we don't need that. No, uh, but... I think they're really talking in you know, a grander scale, though, about okay. whole building communication that they know certain floors don't need to be worked on or alerts to certain floors where they can dispatch mobile units or robot units or medical, say, medical systems can react as needed. Okay, so Chrissy, th there's, there's one thing that uh, you, you cover the, the education market um, a lot. Uh, the higher ed market. Um, when it comes to this to sort of thing, taking off what George just said, there's a lot to be said for the world of education in doing that because you have, regardless, you know, let's say next week is, is Thanksgiving, right? Depending on the right. education institution, depending on, on what their vacation schedule is, you're going to have a lot of campuses that are going to be sparsely populated for four, five, six, seven days next week. Um, having this sort of thing would be beneficial to them at least because, yeah, you're going to have security guards walking around. You're going to have custodial and things like that. But the actual students and, and most of the faculty won't be occupying these you know, 100, 200, 300 classrooms uh, next week. 
So the ability for this whole Internet of Things for them to be able to talk to each other is it would be hugely beneficial, don't you think? Oh, I definitely think so. And like you said, especially on the higher ed campuses, Thanksgiving break is coming up, Christmas break is coming up. There's not as pe many people on campus. You don't necessarily know what's going on. Um, you know, there's not as much as many staff members available to monitor this type of equipment. So if the building and the equipment could talk to itself, that eliminates, you know, a whole host of problems. And, you know, as far as George said, where we still don't really know what this can do, I agree with that as well, because it's kind of like, it makes me think of like the house of the future or the building of the future, and it's sort of on this grand scale that's really out there. Yeah. And I think we kind of need to scale it down and think about like the particulars of how it could be used. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I don't think we're there yet. I think even when I was watching this tweet up, they weren't sure what to say. They were like, we've got these protocols, we've got this promise, but nobody really pinned down what they wanted to do with it yet. And it, it seems like a it seems like a solution looking for an answer, or an answer looking for a solution, or a question. Or a solution. Yeah, is it there's a, a, yeah. I was going to say, is it a solution? Yeah, I got that wrong, but you got it. Is it a solution looking, looking for a question, basically? No, is it, is it a solution <laughs> looking for a problem? Is, is, it, is that really what it is? Or is it really something phenomenal that we just don't know how to make work yet? Maybe it's both. I'm, I mean, yeah. it, it's a solution because you know what the end point is, getting everything to talk to each other. That's one of the small things that it can do. But now you have to think about, okay, like what's the best way to use that? So in a way, you do have the solution, but you don't necessarily know how to apply it. Yeah, okay. I, I, I would buy that. I, I could buy that. So. Mm. All righty. Uh, moving on from our fine folks, our fine overlords at Comcast. Um, I shouldn't say that because we don't have Comcast here in St. Louis. We have the always popular charter communications. Um, but Comcast does have ooh, roughly 20 Just million subscribers. as Time Warner. Well, you know what? They, Comcast has got 20 million subscribers, and they, <laughs> and they own NBC, So, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not quite sure which yet um, for them and their stockholders. <laughs> Uh, but they're going to start selling movies. Um, and what's unique about that is, yeah, they're going to start selling movies just like most other companies rent them now. Here's what they've got. For the 20 million of you out there who are Comcast subscribers uh, to their Xfinity um, product uh, specifically, you can start buying movies. Not a whole lot at first, just a couple hundred. But here's the thing. You can not only continue to stream it on your uh, Xfinity box, but you can download it to your mobile device and you can download it to your computer. Uh, so Chrissy, we'll start with you on this one. Is there, um, I guess, what would be the motivation for Comcast getting into what extensively has been um, more of the realm of people like Apple and um, uh, Amazon at this point? Um, they're getting into a, an, an arena that is not exactly, um, you know, their core business, I guess. Yeah, I think part of it is people are, you know, maybe they're trying to take a little bit of that business away from something like an iTunes or, um, you know, not Netflix because you're not, I mean, you're paying a subscription for that, but you're not buying a specific movie or television. Yeah. But maybe taking that business a little bit from Amazon, um, iTunes, and where you can play it on both, you know, your tablet or your TV. I mean, nothing else like that really exists unless you buy that extra piece. Like if you have an iPad, you need your Apple TV, or you need, if you have, you know, an Android tablet, you need your Chromecast. So I think it's a, a more integrated type of solution for them. Okay. 
Uh, George, where do you think they're headed with this? Why, why, uh, why go after Apple and, and, and Amazon now? I think because the cable companies are fearful that the end is nigh. Uh, they, there is a serious issue with people really being disgruntled with cable companies. Sports is keeping them there. Maybe some of the live events are keeping them there. There's not a heck of a lot else, and there's a lot of griping about what it doesn't serve you, right? You know, everybody hates their cable company except for the one that they don't have. It, it's just a natural thing. But I really do feel like they're saying to you when they, when they put these things out that, look, it's going to be cable, but it's like Roku. So you don't have to believe you're watching cable. You can do this, too. Um, and I think what they're also really seeing is that they're losing everything but the remote and multi-platform stuff. People are watching these movies on everything, and they're trying to keep them on their tube. We're not watching a lot of our video on our tablet through our Comcast video. Maybe through the internet they provide, but they're not watching it on the regular cable you know, channel feed. Uh, they need to find something that'll keep them there. Pay-per-view's not doing it. They've got the streaming stuff they want. They need to get some on-demand stuff. And they keep telling us it's on-demand, but I wonder. It says on-demand, and it's limitless playing, and it's only 20 bucks. but I always ask, 20 bucks at what cost? How much more is it going to really bite us when they finally have you? I think it's. I kind of feel like this is more of a parlor trick for them, and maybe even a last gasp. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a way to stay relevant. I mean, I know a lot of people who have canceled cable altogether, and they just watch everything online. So, I mean, how do you compete with that? Yeah, mm. you you can't really. Uh, which gets yeah. us to our our, our well, next story here. Uh, if uh, this comes to us um, from the uh, from the <laughs> the fine uh, venture capitalist. Um, Good Lord, his name just went out of my head. George? Fred Wilson. Thank you, Fred Wilson. Fred Wilson. Fred Wilson. Good Lord, why does that... <laughs> yeah, you know. He owns Twitter, so or is an investor in Twitter, I should say. Or uh, Twitter. Huh? And SoundCloud. And, and SoundCloud. And, and SoundCloud. Yeah. All right, uh, mobile yeah. is the only media time that is growing, meaning that uh, according to Business Insider Intelligence, um, the uh, e-marketer in August 2013, the number of hours and minutes that you spend uh, with your devices, let's say, uh, it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Radio is going down um, only 12% of your time. Print is 4% of the time. Television apparently is about 38% of the time, but mobile jumped year to year from 12% to 20%. Uh, here's one thing I'll, 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 I will... Uh, back on a little bit they're saying online and it went 26 percent down to 20 percent what people do with their mobile device primarily though is go online so if you put the two together uh you have a whopping 40 percent of the time uh is is spent online in some way shape or form um the mobile is not only games but you also have video we, we mentioned netflix already and, and you can do all sorts of other things whether it's itunes or um, Amazon, um, uh, their uh, Prime Video or Netflix or what have you. That leads us to an interesting question when it comes to AV. Uh, George, if mobile is is our going to be our primary devices, right? Uh, which increasingly it looks like it is. What does that mean that the um, AV installation of the future looks like? It's no longer. Um, all of these, you know, VGA cables coming out of the podium, uh, or even HDMI cables coming out of the podium. What does that look like, and how does that change our, our future installations? 
Yeah, it's it's a question, isn't it? I've been it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I want to say, you know, sort of sort of like the movie quote. I want I have one word for you: small. Everything's going nano, and big screens will only be an adjunct. I mean, we've already seen screens become rather than a TV tuner or even something with a lot of connections to something that's really a connectivity device. It's not really part of that Internet of Things we talked about earlier, but it's a connectivity device. It's just an adjunct for when I want more people to watch with me, and that video can do it. Mobile is the king for almost everything because we are living in tighter quarters, we're living in faster times, we're always on the go, and we want to keep in touch. The latter being something that we're always doing. We've been trained to keep in touch now, so we're always looking at it. I think there was a study out a couple of months ago about the average person looks at their cell phone every six minutes. So That's how, a lot of looking. How, how, many, how many times have you looked at yours in the last half an hour we've been on? I haven't, actually. <laughs> well, thank you. Because you have the timer. I don't use the timer. Oh, very Stand nice. By. Very nice. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, let me look now. No, uh, I got to catch up. But I mean, look, things like Twitter, things like Snapchat, things like all these communication, uh, and sorry for the uh, intercom. No, you're fine. These things are all happening there, so people are keeping up that way. It's the way I keep in touch with my wife. I don't call her. I text her. <laughs> Sometimes we're on Twitter together for that. But that is, and this is something that, and this article especially gives me yet another chance to break out my inverse Squawny square rule. Squawny square rule. If anyone doesn't know, that is that the number of people doing so doubles. So it's an inverse square law for Swanee. And that's what's happening. It's a generational thing a lot, but I find more older people watching things on their, on their cell phones or on their tablets or phablets. You know, a tablet we can see, but they're watching it on their cell phones because they're watching it on the bus. They're watching it on the subway. They're watching it on the train home. They're watching it while they're waiting for something. Yeah. It is the medium. And if you're not on it and if your website isn't set for it as well, you're losing out. It's, 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 it's going to be the thing. Yeah, Chrissy, when it comes to all of these mobile devices and uh, BYOD is part of this whole thing when it comes to faculty as well as students in higher ed, um, what does that mean the, the, the classroom, I guess, of the future is going to look like with all of these mobile devices and that installation? Because most likely the days of these giant um, lecture halls with several different, you know, giant projection screens are most likely on the way out, at least as we used to know them. So what does the, 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 the installation in a classroom look like? Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's obviously almost entirely wireless. Um, it's, it's more collaborative, too. Everyone is mm. looking to go BYOD or one-to-one. -one. I mean, it doesn't even matter what the device is. Um, you know, I know some schools where they, they use cell phones to do classwork. I mean, it seems that's such a small device. You'd think that'd be really inefficient, but it's it's more about using whatever you have, um, you know, on you at the time. And, it, you know, nothing nothing is wired anymore. Students can use their iPads and, it, you know, it, they can project whatever they're working up up on their interactive whiteboard. You know, same thing with the projectors. The projectors are wireless. Everything is definitely smaller and more mobile. Mm, that makes a whole lot of sense. All right. I have to say, yeah, yes. we have a lot of, um, I have a number of schools that we've worked on that they have been going this way. They don't want even control surfaces. They want it all on that. I mean, we've made the argument for a generation now, at least generation internet-wise, that, you know, nobody wants to go to their phone, get an app, go to here, do the this, right? But some of them do because it's so convenient. They'll never lose it. It's always on them. You don't have to replace the batteries. The school doesn't have to buy them. They just have to make sure they're connected. 
uh, and that there are security issues for the IT people on this BYOB and stuff. BYOB stuff. <laughs> I keep wanting it to is, say it that. It is Friday afternoon, George. Go ahead. Yes. It is Friday. You know, we do. Yeah. We do have. We have a beer show coming up. Maybe I'm thinking about that. <laughs> everybody should drink every time nice. I do that. We got a drinking game. Every time I mess that up, <laughs> drink. Um, so bring your own device is what they want because it's not a problem. Okay. Uh, and in fact, I think. Corporate Tech Decisions has a couple of great articles on that, if I may push that. <laughs> well, and um, let, me, let me push back on that for a second, George. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's what the, the ostensibly the end user, right? The person actually fun- functionally using mm-hmm. the room. Mm-hmm. However, you said one important thing. There's mm-hmm. security issues for the IT mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Who wins in that fight and who has the upper hand or does it does it depend on on the institution? Because I know plenty of IT people who will scream, yell, holler, and throw things at, to to stop any sort of mobility connectivity when it comes to controlling uh, anything on their network. Well, I'll take part of it, Chris, if you don't mind for a second. Um, yeah. Um, actually, one of the articles I wrote for Corporate Tech Decisions magazines talks about some of this. Um, first of all, it's a balancing act between does a company want to give in to the demands of its people, particularly the senior management who wants it, and others who are below them probably who want it as well, but put, have the senior management push for that. Yeah. And then IT has to make the decision. We're being told to do it. Here's how we protect ourselves. Here's how we make it right. It's just the same question and pushback we got when AV wanted to be on the same network. They were like, uh-uh, we're not doing that. Right? <laughs> And eventually we came to a pretty good consideration. Higher-end Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies sometimes have separate parallel networks. They have really intense security. They make you put certain things on there, but they still will allow a certain degree of it because the upper management demands it. I'm using this. This is my device. This is what I use. Make it happen. And at a certain point, you have no more control when senior management or the COO or the CTO or the CEO wants it. I agree and um, you know I think something that's new is always scary so there's always going to be pushback and there you know there's still there are security concerns and some of them are legitimate but I think particularly in education the end user definitely has the upper hand and when you're talking about higher ed when kids are coming into school and they're used to being able to use whatever mobile device they want if they can't they're probably going to leave and go somewhere else where they can so it's, Mm. it's kind of you know like in higher ed, you have a choice where you go to school, and technology is often used as a factor to draw students mm. in. So I think you have to be cutting edge with that stuff, otherwise you fall behind. No, that's a very good point. You do have to you you do have to to keep yeah. up because just as much as, as you know, showing the the, the pr- prospective student around to you know your world class football facility or you know your yeah. state of the art security um, um, science facility. Showing them that you have the capabilities um, on par or better than their high schools is important um, because if not, then they'll slightly, you know, slowly discount you in their head, uh, maybe consciously or unconsciously, and then you're off. They're off their. You're off their perspective list. So, uh, well, look just how it works with 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 like Starbucks or any other food establishment. If it's a uh, I can't think of the right word for it, but if it's a comfortable, laid-back food environment like a Starbucks or a cafe that where one has seating, if you don't provide some sort of access to, to Wi-Fi, to the Internet, people will go to the other place that does. 
even if the coffee's five dollars more. You know, I mean, they want this. This is what's going to happen. You just got to accept it and find ways to protect yourself. Starbucks is making sure they protect themselves. Their their financial cash registers and ordering system is not on the same network they're providing you. It's not. It can cross over. Maybe they have something they can do that with, but you're still going to protect. Hira does that as well. I'm sure, Tim, you know mm, that too, mm. and George. You know, the important information is not on the same network that they're providing to you. Okay. There, there are ways to, to protect yourselves. All right, guys, uh, real quickly, last one. Uh, this goes from the mobile into this very thing. Comscore uh, is improving their video metrics with mobile and connected devices, uh, which is actually probably how we got some of the information from Friend Wilson's article. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that in, in Comscore, if you don't know, is uh, equivalent to Nielsen. They're, they're a, it's a it's a, um, a statistics company telling um, content providers and, and uh, advertisers who's watching and how often they're watching and this, that, and the other. Um, how how important is this, George? Um, not just for you know uh, the development of uh, the internet and the development of the internet as a uh, delivery mechanism, but also for this whole mobile thing and the fact that we are spending more and more time on our mobile devices. Well, I think that's part of the problem here is that what they gave as a public metric did include those. Although how they separate them out, I don't know. I mean, if I'm on YouTube, I guess, well, you know what? It's true. If I'm on YouTube and I'm using an Apple device, they have a separate mirror site that feeds the Apple uh, devices, right? So it doesn't come right off the regular uh, YouTube uh, pages and servers. If I remember correctly, someone can correct me on this, but if I remember from back when reading, YouTube does not, it was Java-based or something, and they didn't want to do that on the iPhone, so therefore they had this mirror site that let all this kind of content go to the iPhone and iTablets and everything else. I just made myself silly there by saying iTablet, <laughs> but it goes to all that stuff. I don't know how they're not counting it. Maybe that's one of the reasons. But it seems like a long time coming. I mean, this is something that I think social media people, marketing people, would have been screaming about. How do I know that I'm getting the count that I'm really getting? It's just a number of hits here, or is it averaged? I, I'm kind of confused by this article, to tell you the honest truth. Why isn't it there already? Well, I think some of it is um, the, uh, it's, it's the mechanism, right? Um, you've, got, uh, you've got Nielsen, who for years and years and years uh, put a set-top box on people's um, TVs and the signal runs through and when I turn to NBC on Monday nights or, or whatever um, that registers and you know dials up a server someplace um, and literally used to actually dial out um, a, a number somewhere um, once in the evening and send off the uh, the numbers of, of what that family watched for the evening that was easy right compared to figuring out First of all, um, you know, we've got, uh, I have a cell phone and I have a, a tablet and a computer and my wife has a tablet, you know, this, that, and the other. So for the family, uh, that, that whole family mechanism is kind of broken down with all this mobile stuff. So maybe it's, it's trying to figure out exactly how to make the old system fit into this, this new dynamic, maybe. Um, that's just my guess as to why it's taken so long. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, it just seems odd to me. Well, yeah, but it just doesn't make sense to me that if I'm somebody who's following video and that's my, that's my bread and butter, why am I not having more tools to do that? 
I mean, there used to be for social media a ton of other sites that would help you track and follow and, and get metrics on stuff that you could then sort of average out. This doesn't even seem to let me average out. Now, I may be missing something completely on this because I've never heard of Comscore before and I never have used it. Yeah. But it seems to me that I remember Nielsen has been doing this. Yes. They went into social or into uh, online stuff as well. It seems to me that they've got it figured out. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody needs to correct me on this. I I'm kind of perplexed still. Okay. Uh, Chrissy, is this a big deal that, uh, that Comscore is, is finally telling us what, uh, who's watching what on mobile? Yeah, I think so. So, um, I mean, it's kind of surprising that they weren't already including mobile as it is. But then again, you know, we had mentioned Nielsen, and Nielsen wasn't counting mobile until recently either. So I guess that's just the direction that we're moving in. And it is surprising that we haven't gotten there already. But I'm sure it is complicated, and I'm sure it is a matter of trying to fit an older system into a new one. Yeah, they just recently, actually just in the last year, they started doing online video. So that's, you know, yeah. uh, they're just getting around to you know, to, to, uh, to where we are, I guess. So, all right. Uh, that was the last story that I had, uh, for us. So, uh, I'm going to thank you guys very much for joining us with us has been George Tucker. He is the engineering coordinator for world stage, but also, um, the left side of my brain. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Good to be here. Thank you. How can people find you or find some of your writings, uh, find some of your fine uh, tech decisions, writings or wherever. <laughs> <laughs> This wasn't planned. Right no, it wasn't. Um, so, no, uh, if it's on social media, I, if it's on social media, I am Tucker Twos. You can find me there almost anywhere, even on some extinct ones, though it's still there. Uh, also, I do write for a number of the EH Pub family, including Tech Decisions Magazine and Commercial Integrator, as well as the Red Band Boys. Dear Lord, dude, do you have a, do you have a family, don't you? <laughs> yes, but exactly guy. why. I don't do anything else, you know. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I'm also, up at four, but the downside is I'm in, I'm in bed by ten. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and also with us uh, for the first time, thank you so much, the lovely Chrissy Winsky, uh, the senior content editor at Tech Decisions Media. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And where can people find you or Tech Decisions? Oh yeah, I. It's on Twitter at K through 12 Tech Decisions and at Higher Ed Tech Decisions. And if you want to check out our work, it's K through 12 Tech Decisions .com and Higher Ed Tech Decisions .com. Very good. We uh, we actually use that quite a bit on our Ed Tech show. So uh, we used a couple of your articles um, this very month. Speaking of of of, oh, our, awesome. of our Ed Tech show, uh, we have another one coming out this next week. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, we have a, a, a new uh, a new addition to that. Um, his name's Mike Brandis. Uh, also, we have a, a, a AV Social coming out. Actually, just came out this week, uh, today, and uh, hopefully in a, a, a control show. So uh, go by the website if you would please. AVNation.tv. AVNation.tv. You'll find this program and all those others. AVNation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week. Thank you.